And welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. You can find us on Playmaker Mentality. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us just about everywhere. Every single week, we come to you with conversation about sports, society, and all other types of random stuff. It's been a pretty good week. March Madness is around the corner. We might have something special happening next week. You'll have to stay tuned to my Twitter, at Ethan Ham for that. But for now, I am extremely happy to introduce our guest for this week's podcast. Uh, she's someone who I've worked with before, who I've actually been on her podcast before a long time ago. Jamie Neal is with us tonight. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for uh, giving me a chance to repay the favor and, and come on your show. I'm I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, when was I on your podcast? Like 2013 when the uh, Niners were playing the Patriots? Yeah, it's been a while. I don't remember if we had you on for a game or if we had you on for draft breakdown, but it was back when Trey and I were doing the 4th and 9 podcast and... Uh, yeah, it's it's been a little while. So when you when you slid into my DMs and asked me to come on, I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm uh, I get a chance to come on with Ethan Hammerman, which is that's a big deal to me. Like it may not be a big deal to a lot of people, but uh, I've held you in high regard for a long while. So that was awesome. Hey, it should be a big deal to everyone. I'm just to saying. be on this podcast. That's all I'm saying. Well, in reality, if you are interested, I mean, I'm always open to new people. But thank you, that really does mean a lot. And it is actually Trey's birthday today, I believe. The day that we are recording this. Man, I'm going to have to shoot him a text message. I saw it on Skype, and I was like, oh, cool. What a funny coincidence. Done and done. (laughs) Nice. So we're actually going to not talk about football much today, because baseball season is around the corner, and I know that you are a baseball fan. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do a quick little season preview to get things started. So, overall, just to clear up any biases, you are an A's fan, correct? Yep, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the green and gold for some reason. Yeah, so I'm a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Which is fun when we win. I mean, it's always fun, actually. I can't even say that. Like, even when we lose, we go down in the craziest blazes of glory but I'm a weird Red Sox fan in that I actually don't hate the Yankees. It's the same thing with the Patriots and the Jets. Like, I like the Jets, and I have a soft spot for the Yankees, partially because I used to work at Yes, but also because, I don't know, like, it's it's kind of nice to see them. I like tradition a little bit. I think it's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, moving into the preview, as someone who knows a little bit more about the sport than I do, who are some top players this year that you have your eye on in terms of potentially breaking out? Well, I don't know that it's in terms of breaking out. I mean, if, if we're looking for breakouts, the people I'm looking at are guys like Yasiel Puig. Um, getting Giancarlo Stanton healthy for a full year would be great. But, you know, Yasiel Puig, I, I feel like... So I, I don't like the Dodgers. Uh, the first World Series I remember watching was A's Dodgers in 88 when Kirk Gibson hit a home run on two broken legs off of Eckersley. So it's, it's hard for me to, to be excited about a player that wears Dodger blue, but it feels like Yasiel Puig, if he just threw everything together and got it, got just everything dialed in, he could have a monster season. I think we've seen good from him. I just don't know that we've seen his best and his best could be really, really special. This is a bit of a quick pivot, but I know a lot of NorCal baseball fans. A's fans, Giants fans, they all hate the Dodgers. And it is, it's just kind of funny how, like, to a man, they're all like, yeah, that team is just the, the worst. Like, so, screw them. The and I think there's, like, a coalition of other fans, too, who hate the Dodgers. So, first of all, I guess, maybe tell me about why you hate the Dodgers, and then... We'll take it from there and see the Dodgers really are the worst fans in baseball. All right, so I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in South San Jose. And until Barry Bonds came, I didn't have an issue with the Giants. And he came in with some bravado, and I started to kind of think, hey, I need to choose a team. My uncle was a big A's fan, so I went with the A's. And Barry Bonds came right after the A's lost to... 
the Dodgers then beat the Giants and then lost to the Cincinnati Reds. So we went to three straight World Series. And as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid, you can't get much better than that. But then I fell out of baseball because the strike happened and I didn't understand. I still don't understand. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't understand, hey, you make, you know, $5 million a year to play a game that I play in the street for fun. So I fell off and came back right around 99 or 2000. And luckily the A's had the big three. And then the Dodgers just had this, this string of beating up on the Giants. And I had a bunch of friends who were Giants fans. And I'm kind of like you. I don't hate the Giants. When Pablo Sandoval in 2010, Pablo and Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum and Brian Wilson, I had a soft spot for that team. My ex is a huge Giants fan. I paid 250 bucks to go to the ring ceremony game after their first World Series. So I'm okay with them, but it's a NorCal-SoCal thing. Northern California doesn't like Southern California. Southern California hates Northern California because they're two different mentalities. And so the Dodgers have beat up on the Giants in, in division races, and they've beat the A's in a World Series. Jeff Kent played down for L.A., he, I'm not a Jeff Ken fan at all. So it's just all these Manny Ramirez. I did not like Manny Ramirez until he went to Boston. And, and then after he was done in Boston, I didn't like it when he played with the A's. I just, I wasn't a fan. So they just have all the, these bad boy wannabe guys that have this, this image that they uphold. It's kind of like the Raiders for me. I just, I can't get past it. I guess that's fair enough, but I do have a bigger question for you. Which fans are worse, Dodgers fans or Cardinals fans? Oh, my goodness. It's tough. Well, I've never seen a Twitter handle called Best of Los Angeles Dodgers Fans. So I'll say that the most pretentious, douchey fans probably belong to the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm sure there are some great Cardinals fans out there who probably feel that their fan base doesn't always represent them in the most positive light, but I would tend to agree with you that I think only one fan base as a collective whole can take the cake as the worst fan base in baseball, other than maybe the Miami Marlins fan base, or and his name, his, name is Ro- his name is Rocky, so... That's his name. Um, (laughs) So overall, I guess, sort of touched on your favorite team, the A's. Are there any other teams that you're particularly excited to watch this year? I'm kind of excited to see Houston, and I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but it's been a long time since 05 when they played the White Sox in the World Series. Um, It's been a long time since they were a relevant team, and if they continue to, to... go on the trajectory they were on last year, we could see something special there. And, I mean, I like watching – I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Okay, so I'm a huge A's fan uh, through and through. But watching guys like Mike Trout, it's impossible not to revert to being a little kid with that awestruck feeling about somebody who's that good at something. So – you know, I watched the Marlins because of Giancarlo Stanton. I watched the Tigers because of Miguel Cabrera. Um, I love good pitching. So anytime somebody puts on a show pitching-wise, I'm I'm in 100%. The best game I've ever seen, it wasn't even an A's game. It was a regular season game between the Giants and the Phillies, and it was Cliff Lee versus Matt Cain. I spent more time in the car on the way to the stadium than I did at the stadium watching the game, and I couldn't have been more happy because it was just good, efficient, fantastic pitching. So I just love baseball. It's kind of like football for me, man. I'll watch 12, 13, 14 hours of football straight, and I'll watch as many baseball games as I possibly can because it's just it's a nostalgia thing for me. I just love baseball. I fall in and out of love with baseball. I remember back in the day, this was in, I want to say, early 2000s, when, before the Red Sox won a World Series, I was all about Hanley Ramirez, because he was like the next big thing, right? He was going to be like the star who would uh, 
come up and take the Red Sox and make them winners again. It's just so funny to me how my relationship with baseball is very similar to Hanley Ramirez's relationship with baseball, where there are times when clearly he's like the most dedicated guy out there, uh, especially earlier in his career, where he just was going all out and really was one of the top, I would say, 10 players in the game pretty easily. And now you look at him, he like just doesn't care. <laughs> I'm hoping that this year is the year where me and Hanley care. That would be a great, great feeling. I mean, I have watched baseball for a long time. I always follow it, even when my team isn't very good. It's really just like a time commitment thing. And I have a hot baseball take, and I'll be interested to hear your opinion on it, because a lot of other baseball fans do not like this take. I think the season is too long. Oh, thank you. Okay. I'm totally stealing from somebody that I can't stand, and I won't mention this person's name just because they're a national media person on Fox Sports. But Oh, do they rhyme with um, Bray Plavis? No, they uh, rhyme with um, Ballin Bowherd. Oh, okay. All right, that and, works. And I'm, I'm not a big fan, but there's been a couple of takes that he had that made me think, and what he said was, start the season in May around Memorial Day and finish the World Series by the start of October, make it 100 games where all 100 games actually matter. And listen, I'm a big baseball fan. I do fantasy baseball. I've got a huge league that's a lot of money and a a lot of gummy bears. Actually, I'm in Vegas. I'm allowed to gamble. Uh, We spend (laughs) a lot of money on this league, and I'm in. But 162 games, Ethan. I'm on board with you. I'm. I'm. I support your your hot take on baseball. I will not. I will not be. Uh, I will not be speaking out against you on this. I even think 100 games might be a little bit too long. But still, like, I it, it disincentivizes me. And honestly, it's part of the reason why I don't watch every basketball or hockey game either. Even though I like right. both sports, I just I'm doing a lot of things. For football, I know there's one day a week when I can set that aside and watch a football game. I can't do that with any other sport. Right. uh, Other than soccer. And that's why, honestly, I've been watching a lot of soccer lately. Because I can set time aside and say I can make time for this game. Because everything's happening at the same time. It's happening one night. And, I mean, basketball's been sucking me in more and more recently just because watching Steph is just amazing. And I know that you probably agree with me there, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not the biggest proponent of having every single night in an entire year taken up by watching baseball games. Especially when baseball games really are the perfect background noise. I mean, if a game's exciting, it's exciting, but like, it's really hard to pay attention every single at-bat in every baseball game. At least, that's my opinion. I do still love the sport, but well, I think that's something you need to work on. The reason I like soccer so much is because it's shorter. It's two hours for a match instead of three hours and 37 minutes or whatever. And man, you guys in the Yankees, this four hour crap, I live on the West coast. So last night I'm watching the Warriors game. Didn't end until 10 15. I've got to be up first thing in the morning to go work. So I, you know, I would have much rather started a game at six 30 or seven and been done by eight 30 or nine. Cause we are a lot busier than we used to be. You know, we are, there's a lot more demand on our time now. And as an A's fan, so it's different for me. Because as an A's fan, we're kind of a plug-and-play roster, and we don't have a hugely high-powered offense. So the the games where we get crushed and have no chance, uh, slim and none, and the games that we're pitching well in, we've got a really great pitching staff consistently – all of our games are close. You know, we will win three to two, five to three, something like that. So I'm in a little bit of a different boat than you're in because a lot of the, the A's games are exciting, but I run a restaurant. I'm the general manager for a Chili's. So there's a lot of demands on my time and we put in a good amount of hours to make sure that, that we're running our restaurant. Right. So, uh, I, you won't you won't get any argument from me, 
even if it went down to to 82 games or something and or if they shortened it to seven innings i'm I'm not going to fight you much on it because this two-hour soccer match that you watch it it's pretty good action if it's a couple of good teams and you can go and do something else it doesn't take your whole evening i mean seven innings let's not go crazy i like nine innings I will say I love going to baseball games because it's really relaxing and you can sort of just pay attention when you need to pay attention, talk to friends when you talk to friends. It doesn't feel like you always have to be looking at everything and that everything is well, running at a million miles an hour, which is kind of nice. Kid, unless you're the kid who almost got hit in the face looking at his phone the other day, then yeah. you need to pay attention because <laughs> people, please, 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 if you're sitting in the lower seats up the first or third baseline, don't be on your phone. Like... Enjoy your beer, enjoy your company, but don't be on your phone because that kid's life could have been over. Like, I did you see this picture that I'm talking about? Do you know? Yeah, with the guy who was like stretching out his arm and blocking uh, the bat from hitting his face. Yeah, dude, what? Like, if that dude wasn't there and didn't do that, that poor kid is at least knocked out. And I, I just, I. I cringed when I saw that. I think that was his dad, actually, right? I I have no idea who it was. And if it was, then awesome, good work, dad. But my goodness. And and I agree, though. It's Baseball is a far more social game. I'll I'll tell you, I enjoy watching football games by myself. Uh, Not because I don't enjoy other people, but because I don't want to have to compete with other people in in talking and I don't want to have to have people asking me questions on a bunch of stuff when when I'm really invested in the game and that sounds terrible but baseball basketball hockey I'll watch with everybody football I'm more of an isolationist I just I kind of want to be on my own so uh it's nice the the best thing about baseball is at least going to a game is when you walk into the stadium and you're walking up the, the ramp or the stairs, depending on what stadium you're in, and you first see the field peek out through the overhangs. That's my that's my favorite thing in the entire – there's nothing in the world that makes my heart smile the way that does. And um, it doesn't happen at football games. It doesn't happen at basketball games. And I've, I've been to great basketball games. I've been to great football games. The most – Boring baseball game, one to nothing, nine innings, uh, a squeeze play to score the run in the first is the only run that scored. I still walk away feeling so much better than I do watching a six to three Cleveland Browns Oakland Raiders game. It's just the way it is. I'm the same way with how I watch football. That's the one sport I need to watch alone. I just can't watch other people because I like making my own analysis and I like rewinding things when I need to rewind them and whatnot. So I'm totally in the same boat there. Love it. Now, we talked about some teams we're excited to watch. Are there any teams that you think could disappoint this year? So, yeah, I mean, I think there's teams that could regress. Um, I've got some people I've seen who think the Tigers are going to be really, really good. I just don't see it. Um, You know, everybody's anointing the Cubs – the Cubs kind of feel like the Warriors are, um, but the Cubs feel like they haven't done as much as the Warriors had. Like last year, everybody was, oh, the Warriors, the Warriors, the Warriors. And I've been a Warriors fan since I was eight. And I was cautious, like, oh, please don't jinx us, please. The Cubs made it into the playoffs last year. They were in the playoffs back in 07 and 08. It's not like it's been a huge long streak without them in the playoffs. I can see them disappointing. A couple of untimely injuries or a couple of people regressing. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of young kids out there. So what happens if Kyle Schwarber or Chris Bryant don't have the same year and their pitching staff isn't quite as good as they think it's going to be? I, I mean, I could see it happening. And I think Theo Epstein and, and Madden are, are a great team. I think they're a great tandem and they're going to do great things there. But a lot of people have a lot of faith in some teams that I just don't see it. I, I, the Astros, man, can you imagine if the Astros don't do incredibly well? Like that's going to let down a lot of people. Um, so I don't know. Baseball's so up and down every year. 
that the only consistent teams are like the Cardinals. The Giants are typically pretty good. Since 2010, they finished in the worst finish they've had was third in their division. That's pretty solid. Three World Series championships. You know, I'll, I'll throw some love out to the Giants fans that are listening. But, you know, the Mets, the Cubs, um, the Giants, the the Pirates, all of these teams could could easily disappoint based on on what happens throughout the season. And I think it's those teams with high expectations that don't meet them or the teams with high salary players or high salary limits in, in general, like the Dodgers with $200 million in salary. If you don't do well, you're, you're fairly disappointing in general. So, Yeah, I don't really have a most disappointing take. Although people seem to be really low on the Royals, which I think is interesting. Because they did win the World Series last year, and they kept most of their talented players. And I don't know. I'm not going to write them off so quickly. I know that the Giants fans, though, are clamoring for God. what I've seen called as even-year bullshit. Where Dude, every year, when it's an even year, they win the World Series. Okay. So, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just sort of segues into my question. Who do you think is going to win the World Series? So here's the thing. Let me... Let me tangent, and I'll, I'll answer that question. Okay, so when I joined Twitter, uh, I still have aspirations of being a sports writer. That's what I want to do. Um, and when I joined Twitter, it was 2010. And I had gone to a Giants-Reds game in August. The Giants beat them like 15-4. to 4. It was 100 degrees in San Francisco, which is so rare it's not even funny. Like, summers in San Francisco are never that hot. And I joined Twitter – as downs and outs, and I was writing and podcasting about football, downs, baseball, outs. And I was like, okay, a lot of people are hungry for Giants information. So that's who I started writing about. And everybody took me as a Giants fan, and I was like, I'm not really a Giants fan at all. Like, I'm just writing about your team because you can't get enough of that info right now. And as the years have gone on, and they won in 2010, 12, and 14 – my best friend's a Giants fan, and he came up to me and was like, hey, so uh, you're going to go and put some money down on the Giants to win the World Series? And I was like, no. Well, but it's an even year. Stop with the even year crap, because I, I just can't. Like, I just can't handle that rationale of thinking. If you want to say, hey, we got Justin Marjo and we got Cueto, and hopefully Matt Cain rebounds, and maybe Timmy Lynn does something and Jake Peavy's going to shake off the rust that he's been showing in spring training and Brandon Belt's going to put it together. Like, if you want to give me analysis of why you're going to win, I'll listen to you. But if you tell me because the year is an even year, oh, my God, it hurts so bad. Like, it hurts to listen to these people. So please just stop, everybody. Um, as for my pick, um... I know I just badmouth them, but I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs because I really think that as long as they stave off injury and they do what they think and should be able to do, I don't know who beats them. Like that team can pitch, that team can hit, they play defense. And I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Madden. I have been since he was with the Rays and, uh, he gets another year under his belt with this team and, and learns what makes these guys tick. I'm I'm sold. I, I think that they're the I think they break the curse this year. And I know that's a popular opinion and it's nothing groundbreaking, but uh facts are facts, so Yeah, I think I agree. I would go Cubs Astros. And Yeah, that's that's I'm, I would mind. go Cubs. But we'll see. I mean, anything can happen. It's a long, long season, and that even-year bullshit is still looming for the Giants. We'll see. And listen, those guys can pitch, and they can hit. Yeah. They've got they've got some power in their lineup, and they've got great pitching, and the best ballpark to be a pitcher in, and that ballpark's beautiful. And then to round it out, I mean, for MVP, pretty much Trout has to be the leader, right? Like, he's the guy for the AL and then for the NL. Uh, I guess Schwarber? All right, so for me, AL, it's Trout, and it will be until he falls off. Uh, the guys, 
the best baseball player I've ever seen. And uh, he's the best baseball player I've ever seen. He's all around best. I mean, Pujols. So I love Albert Pujols swing. Like his swing is just super pretty, but Mike Trout just does everything and makes it look so easy. And I remember that play he had in Baltimore. I want to say it was his rookie year where he went up against the Southwest outfield sign and robbed a home run. He had such youthful exuberance about it. And he was so pumped up and he, he didn't play by the quote unquote unwritten rules. Like he showed emotion and got excited. And I actually bought a huge poster of that, that he autographed, uh, because I thought it was such a great play. So Trout's it for me. In the NL, I don't even know. Um, if John Carlos Stanton can stay healthy, I could see him stealing that. I could see Bryce Harper putting together a full season. That might be my pick. Actually, you know what? You know what? I'll stick with you on the Cubs. I'm going to go with Chris Bryant because I think the kid is just dialed in. I think that he ended the year well. I think that he's he's going to pick up where he left off. So I will go with Chris Bryant from the Cubs. Solid choice. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to talk more baseball as the year goes on and to see what happens this year because it's going to be a crazy one. We're going to move on to the society segment. And this is something that I'm really, really excited about because, as you know, like on the show, I'm looking to get all kinds of stories, stories that I personally can't tell because I don't have the perspective to tell. And I'm really, really excited about this. Uh, and this is something that you only really opened up with last year. It was an article in Outsports when you came out as being transgender and transitioning from male to female. And it's a great article. I'm definitely going to make sure that I tweet it out plenty in the coming days because it's something people should read. Sarah Kogod did a really, really good job on it. And I think you also had a follow up on that too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, I guess to start, what has it been like the past year since you wrote that? Was that the culmination of your transition or, or what sort of was your experience like as you were coming to terms with this? Well, it's been a it's been a weird road. So like long 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 story short uh for the backstory, it's been something that I've I've struggled with forever. Uh so I'm I'm in my early 30s and back when I was younger there like I had no idea what a transgender person was. Like transgender wasn't even a term in our vernacular. And I, I grew up in a, a pretty rough neighborhood. And so terms like tranny or cross-dresser or she-male, those were things that that were thrown around a lot more because when you don't know how to properly label something or when you don't know the proper terms, you just kind of say whatever comes out. And the disdain that that was spoken with when I was younger, I was like, Oh, I want nothing to do with that. But it's, it was this thing. And so I kind of went back and forth and, uh, my birthday came up last year and I was out with a bunch of friends and I'm, I live in Vegas. And so we went to, uh, a real casual place and had some martinis. I'd never had a martini before. We had appetizers and hung out totally great. And I was laying in bed that night and I was like, how great would it be if this was my day to day? And I want to say it was a Friday or Saturday, one of the two. And Easter Sunday, I went into work and I was like, I think that I'm, I think I'm going to come out tomorrow. And this is a big deal for me on Twitter because everybody that I follow and that follows me on Twitter was related to sports or was a personal friend of mine. That was it. And I I carefully tried to build this 
this thing, this, uh, this persona. And I was literally going to pour gasoline on it and see if somebody was going to light it on fire. And, um, I remember I, I talked to a couple of people I know and, um, and they were like, Hey, if you're ready, do it. So the next day at work, uh, it was April 6th. I sent the tweet and I left the office and my goal was to be out of the office for three hours straight because I didn't want to see the responses and I made it like 11 minutes <laughs> and I go back into the office and there was one dude at the time. I think his name, I think the first guy to respond was this guy named, or his Twitter handle is John Dylan 48. I believe it is. And nobody, I mean, nobody said anything bad. And, uh, Sarah Kogod is a personal friend of mine and she, she caught wind of that tweet, and so did Aaron Dolan, who is Sean Doolittle's uh, better half, and he's a pitcher for the A's. And those two set it up for me to go to the LGBT night in Oakland last June. And so the piece that Sarah and I did together, that was the first time that I'd gone to a baseball game as Jamie. That was the first time that um, I'd been out in California in probably 10 years as Jamie. And I did a piece before that for OutSports that was my coming out story. Uh, Sid was wonderful and gave me the forum. And I got, I got no negative feedback. There was one dude at one point who jumped into my mentions and was like, hey, you're a fag dude who dresses like a chick. Stay out of my mentions. And I, I knew the name, but I couldn't place it. And so I clicked on the tweet, and we had talked like, 500 plus days before that. And I was like, how did you even, we didn't follow each other. Nothing. I was like, I don't even understand how you found out that this had happened. I don't get it. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it all happened. And, and that, that baseball game, um, I just moved into a new house. I just bought a house and I was unpacking some stuff and I just found the hard ticket copy of that game. And it made me smile because that game was the the very beginning. It was the first step of this super long journey that I don't know if it ever has an end. But if it does, I can't see it yet. It's it's so far away that it's not even funny. So that's kind of how it all started. I definitely think in some ways that even though you were a little bit nervous by how people were going to react, it sounds like... You have been coming to terms with this for a long time offline, correct? Yeah, and so like my friends knew, the majority of my family knew, um, and they've known for years. I mean, when I moved to Vegas the first time back in '04, the whole purpose of me leaving my hometown was my mom and stepdad lived out here, and I knew nobody except my mom, stepdad, brother, and sister. So I was like, sweet, I can, I can kind of figure this out. And my friends that I met then were all super supportive. They still are. Same friends. Same group of people. Um, but the reason that, that coming out on Twitter was so difficult is because of keyboard warriors. And there's there's really no um, there's no repercussions to face if you call somebody a fag or you call somebody a tranny on Twitter or on social media or in comment sections or whatever. And some of the stuff that I've seen, I, I have a friend of mine who wrote an article about me and I never read comments. I'm so diligent about that. And I read the comments and I was just dismayed at, at what was said. And I guess I didn't give my followers enough credit because uh, I expected something similar from a lot of people. And actually the one person I expected the most vitriol from jumped into my mentions and praised me like three or four tweets in a row. And I'll never forget that moment because I was, I was petrified. And this, this guy is a, a fairly big name. He doesn't, he's not a, he's not a professional writer or a professional media person, I guess would be a better way of putting it. 
but he's he's a pretty big name in Bay Area stuff. And so when he came out and supported me, like, it kind of all just fell away. And was like, okay, like, this dude's cool about it and everybody else has been, I'm going to be fine. And I get these weirdos once in a while, but it's been so much better than I ever expected it to be that I kind of felt stupid for making such a big deal about it. And there's that second anytime you have that coming out experience where the, there's a crazy adrenaline rush. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, wow, there's a rock that just all of a sudden flew off of my chest. Did you play sports growing up at all? Yeah. Okay. What was your, what were you the best at? What was I the best at? Yeah. What sport did you play? Uh, yeah, probably like? swimming. I was good at swimming. Okay. So for me, it was volleyball and I never swam. I was hoping we, we would relate, but for me, it's volleyball. I'm short. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that moment was getting the best set I've ever gotten and going up against no blockers and absolutely crushing the ball. And I, I don't know how to relate that to swimming, but for football, it's, it's throwing a perfect pass on a, on a deep post pattern with a single high safety that you looked off or for baseball, it's making perfect contact and no doubt home run. It's all those things wrapped into one. It's the, it's the best, scariest, most amazingly wonderful feeling in the entire world ever. Like, I don't, I've never had anything feel better than I did. Even knowing I couldn't take it back because it was already out there, I was like, all right, it's done. I don't have to, I don't have to hide my fingernails, <laughs> which were, have been painted the last three years. I don't have to hide my fingernails when I'm taking a picture of a soda can or worry about, somebody noticing me out and about as the Jason Neal, which was my handle before and me having my nose pierced or my nails done or wearing makeup or any of that. I didn't, I don't have to worry about it anymore because this is who I am and this is what I do. So it was hugely amazing. So since you've had this newfound freedom, what would you say is the most empowering moment that you've had in the past year? How do you define empowering? What made you proudest to be Jamie? So, there's been a couple. Uh, I'll give you the two most important ones for me. Um, the most important one, I think, has been the way that the people that I work with have responded. And, like I said, I run a Chili's. And I have 60 people or so who work at my restaurant. And then we have six other chilies in our area. And all of the GMs got together one day for a GM meeting. None of them made a joke. None of them batted an eye. And I've known these guys for all of them for at least a year and a half. Most of them for the better part of 10 years. And so we have a rapport where we joke and we, we make fun of each other and whatever. Nothing. And no team members, no no servers, no bartenders, no cooks, nothing. Everybody has been great. All of the managers. And it just shows me how far we've come as a society that this isn't a big deal. Because 10, 15 years ago, this was kind of a big deal. And 20 years ago, when I first started thinking about this, 25 years ago, really big deal. Um, but secondly, I'd have to say... Things like this where I'm talking with you. So when I first started following you on Twitter, I was you tweeted something, and it was either something LGBT related or something feminist related, and I couldn't figure I don't remember which. <laughs> and I Googled you and it said I think it just said LGBT, and I was like, does he identify with that or is he just a supporter and an ally? And it didn't matter to me because I was like, you you don't know this. And I, anybody listening, he's never heard this before. Yeah, I have um, no idea what's about to be said. <laughs> you kind of were a little bit of a catalyst for me because I saw that somebody could be successful in terms of sports coverage in the social media realm 
and either be open about who they are or openly support people who identify the way I do. And that was a huge thing for me. Like I, there's no way for me to explain to you how eye opening that was. It was more eye opening than Christine Daniels, who um, used to be named Mike Penner, and he was a writer for the LA Times. And then she transitioned and kept being a sports writer. That wasn't nearly her story was nowhere near as impactful as you just having those four letters on this stupid thing online that I don't know what it was. But being in this in this sphere, the Twitter sphere, the social media sphere, whatever it is, and being accepted the way I have been, that's super empowering. It's not Caitlyn Jenner, it's not Laverne Cox, it's not Janet Mock, it's not any of that. It's me being accepted for who I am, being valued for the perceived knowledge that I have, and ask my opinion, regardless of the fact that I identify as a woman or that I used to be Jason Neal, whatever it is, nobody seems to give a crap. And nobody, fuck it, nobody seems to give a shit. And that's important to me because that means that I don't underestimate the people that I interact with on a daily basis. That means I've made really good choices and the people that I follow are intelligent and are open-minded and are some of the best people that I could hope to be involved with in anything. So that's, that's what it is for me. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. That was very nice. And I'm happy that I helped in some way for you to become more open. I think in general, I have seen on social media and sports in general, really uh, people are, more willing to be supportive and take stands like that because I think they see it's the right thing to do. I also think, and this is something that I've noticed, and it's sort of like a differentiator to me when you're looking at uh, the journey for lesbians, gays, and bisexuals might want to be involved in sports and the journey of those who are transgender. I think that it's a little bit harder to relate just because the mindset that you're in is so unique. It's something that a lot of people can't necessarily even presume. So it takes even a higher level of empathy and of care to, to understand that. Like, for example, I didn't, and I run with a pretty diverse group of people for the most part in terms of all over whatever spectrum you want to talk about. And I did not know that I knew someone who was transgender because they had never opened up to me until I found out that a friend of mine who I met and was male on New Year's, I think of like 2013 or 2014, came out as female and changed her name and changed pretty much everything about themselves. And it's before then, I really didn't know anyone who had gone through the transition. It was something that when it happened, I was like, Gonna have to get used to this. I hope I don't make any mistakes. I'll just be very cognizant of it. But I think in general, and I think this is somewhere where you could help, I'm guessing there are people listening to this who haven't met someone who's transgender before or even really heard someone who's transgender talk before other than maybe Caitlyn Jenner at the ESPYs. So I think that people like you uh, being open about yourself really helps to humanize this issue. And give people an entry point into learning more about people who are transgender and learning your story and, and understanding more. With that being said, what advice would you give to people if let's say they meet someone who's transitioning or a friend of theirs decides to transition or someone opens up to their transition and talks to them about it? What advice would you give to people if they're put in that situation? So I think the best thing that I can say is just ask questions respectfully. So hit me up on Twitter at the Jamie Neal. Um, I'm not shy about any of this. I, I've got people. So Sarah Kogan and I co-authored the piece about me going to the game and she used my male name in the piece and there was somebody who read it before we published it, and they mentioned to her, hey, you shouldn't do that. But I'm not trying to hide 
so let's be real. I'm six foot one. Um, I am probably physically big enough that I could have played a position in the NFL. Um, I'm nowhere near talented enough to have played in the NFL, but I don't, I don't necessarily quote unquote pass. That's, you know, that's, that's something that Caitlyn Jenner, which I'll touch on, has kind of drawn the ire of some LGBT uh, supporters and community members of. So I'm not trying to erase anything. So if anybody has a question, I'd rather they ask and not be ignorant to it rather than assume that they know the answer or try and figure it out on their own because it just makes things more uncomfortable. So, you know, how many times do you have any friends who have kids? Who have kids? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So a lot of times when people have kids, people are like, hey, do you want to be a boy or a girl? I don't care as long as it's healthy. Well, there's this, this meme or this these pictures. It's not a meme. But there's these pictures that float around if you follow LGBT sites. And it says, hey, it didn't matter to you if you had a boy or a girl when they were born. Why does it matter now? And, like, unless you have some strange quota for the number of female friends you need to have and the number of male friends you need to have, it, it shouldn't matter. And I told all my friends, nothing is changing. Nothing. I'm still exactly the same person. All that's changing is the packaging. And they didn't really believe me because they hadn't had the experience yet. And I was just talking with a friend the other day, and she's like, you're still sarcastic. You still love sports. Um, I just went fishing on Saturday. I woke up at 3 a.m. to go fishing. I, I love fishing. Um, I'm still quick-witted. I'm still a little bit of an asshole. Those things didn't change just because the way I present myself did. And I think that's the important part. Like, as long as the person doesn't change – Nothing else should. And in my experiences, the people don't really change. They may speak about things differently um, or they may, they may, you know, hang out with the girls in the group a little bit more than they are the boys. But I promise you for Super Bowl Sunday, I was sitting down with everybody in the living room, whether the girls were in there or not, because I love football. So for me, the most important thing anybody can do is ask questions. Hey, do you want to re be referred to as she and her or he and him? Do you, do you have specific pronouns? Uh, do you have a new name you'd like to be called? You you on the podcast today, man. Hey, uh, I was on her podcast in the past. Like those things matter, and and they're noticed. And it may I'm a pretty understanding person. So I've let people slide a little bit to kind of get used to it. And I have friends who are like, hey, don't do that. Screw it. Just tell them what you want to be called. And I've got some friends who are like, hey, I appreciate that. And I'm just – that's just me. But asking questions, as long as you ask respectfully, it's probably the best way to go because everybody has different experiences and different wants and different needs. So, you know, it's – it's making sure you're aware of what that person wants and needs in that moment that is the most important, in my opinion. And I think that you're correct. We really are at a major moment for the transgender community with Caitlyn Jenner, uh, with the likes of Laverne Cox and of Janet Mock. Now, Caitlyn Jenner is who I really want to focus on. You mentioned... Uh, some of the reactions that some people in a lot of different communities have had, I think on one end you had a lot of anger from people who were like, she's doing this for attention. Why did she win this ESPY award over this random soldier guy who didn't even play a sport, which I thought was really stupid. Um, and then on the other hand, you've said like there have been a lot of um, comments from the left saying, why isn't she doing more to help the community? Why is she saying she's going to hang around with Ted Cruz and be Ted Cruz's transgender liaison, which I think is kind of weird. Uh, I guess for you, what was your reaction 
to Caitlyn Jenner when the story was first coming to a boil and then throughout this entire process? So my first reaction was I'm glad she came out in late April and I came out in early April so nobody can say that I did it because she did. Um, I've never been a Kardashians fan. I've never been uh, a big Jenner fan before or after the transition. Just just not my cup of tea. Um, and I'm willing to... Okay. So initially, not a huge fan at all. It was... Um, it, it seemed disingenuous. It seemed... Um, it seemed a little scripted the way everything came across. And I'm sure that her people made sure that in the interview there wasn't any questions that were going to be sprung on her and and all of that. But the TV show, she said a lot of stuff that just didn't sit well. And even now, uh, you know, she had the Ted Cruz comments and um, I suffered through I Am Kate uh, episode one, season two. And her her viewpoints reflect that of somebody who's part of the 1%. And I I guess I struggle with that because I'm not. And I know people who have struggled to find gainful employment. And I'm, I'm really lucky. I bought a house. My real estate agent is outstanding. And I bought a house. So I won't face some of the issues that transgender people face with finding housing. And my company is incredible when it comes to LGBT issues. I sat down with one of the higher ups in my company two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and he was amazing. Jamie, she, her, outstanding. So, so I'm okay, but I struggle like a lot of people do with what is she using her influence for? And she, it wouldn't be an issue if she didn't say she wanted to, but she says she wants to be an ambassador and she wants to do good for this community. You've got to know what you're saying then. And she has these people around her who are trying to teach her and tell her and, and show her and, and make her see. And she just shuts down and it's, it's super disheartening because I didn't get to disappear for six months, eight months, 10 months and go through this transition and come out with, facial feminization surgery and uh, you know, everything exactly how I wanted it and reveal myself the way I want to. I go to Chili's every day and have to make sure that I've got enough makeup to cover a five o'clock shadow because I just can't afford laser hair removal right now. And I've got to go to the grocery store and to target and to get gasoline and out to dinner with friends. So I have a social life. And she doesn't have those same things, and and she's earned her way to where she is. But if you're gonna say you want to be an ambassador for this community, you can't. I don't think. I personally don't believe that you can forget about what the ninety nine percent below you. And it legitimately, she's the only person in this group at her level that I can think of. I, I don't know of any of any other person who has the financial well-being that she does. And I could be wrong. Uh, Laverne Cox and Janet Mock may be up there, but I don't think that they are. So you're up on this pedestal by yourself speaking for the entire community, and I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, and I hope that she stops putting her foot in her mouth. But there's so much more to it than just being Ted Cruz's liaison or – getting on stage and and talking about what you're going to wear and, and how this has impacted you. And, like, I get it. The SPs were just a couple of months after she came out. I totally understand. I have been wrapped up in my own self, too. But, man, you've got advisors and you've got a group of transgender women who are telling you what's going on, and she still refuses to see it, and that's just – it's super, super disheartening for me because she could use that voice for so much more. And I think on that note, 
we're going to move on to the final portion of this podcast. Thank you so much for everything that you said in the society portion. I think that it'll really give some insight into your mindset and allow for people to get a better understanding of, of what it's like to be transgender and how to best be an ally to anyone who they may meet who is transgender. Uh, but we're going to go to the stuff portion, and you've mentioned that you manage a Chili's. Manage a Chili's in Las Vegas. I'm guessing you have some pretty entertaining stories from yeah. managing a Chili's in yeah. Las Vegas. So let's hear one or two of your best ones. Um, man. So we just opened the Chili's on, so I don't work at the Chili's on Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, there's a, a general manager there and a management team that are stellar. Um, so my restaurant, we don't have, uh, actually I got one. Uh, okay. So at the strip, um, during the summertime, there's a lot of guests that walk in wearing close to nothing because when you're walking down Las Vegas Boulevard and it's 110 or 11 degrees, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of rules as long as you're covered up. It's fine. Like it's Vegas. It's not, it's not Connecticut. It's not California. It's, it's Vegas. So, um, you know, there's, there's been times where that management team has had to walk up to a young lady. Hey, I need you to cover yourself up or we're going to have to ask you to leave. Um, you know, there's, there's been times where people come in, so drunk that they pass out at the table before their food hits the table. Um, so just, just typical things you would think happen in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I guess the best one I have from my restaurant, um, I wasn't working, but apparently somebody decided that they were going to throw uh, a cigarette butt into a bush that caught fire in the middle of our dinner rush. So, Police called, or fire department called, uh, put out the fire in the middle of us getting crushed on a dinner shift. But our stories aren't, I mean, we're a chain restaurant. And so my stories aren't that much different or that much better than any chain restaurant stories that you've got. Uh, but it's Vegas. People got to be doing crazy shit in Vegas. They, so we do get people who do crazy shit in Vegas, but... Most and of families were really obnoxious. What's that? And obnoxious families too. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's there are plenty of obnoxious families. There's there's plenty of stories of of um, of guests who come in and order something, say they don't like it, that they want it remade, finish that plate full of food while we're remaking the food, bring them the second one, and go to remove the plate, which we should have taken out of the way first, but uh, and. And they expect all that food for free or the people who dine and ditch uh, and run across this super busy street. Uh, we're, on, we're on a main thoroughfare in Vegas. And they'll run across a super busy street to dip out on a $12 bill. Um, people who throw shit fits because they didn't get ranch dressing at 730 on a Friday night for their French fries. And I don't know if you've ever heard Daniel Tosh, the comedian's viewpoint on this but Daniel Tosh said I think everybody should have to serve in a restaurant for a year so that you understand that your ranch dressing in the middle of a Friday night dinner shift isn't that damn important and I don't necessarily share that viewpoint because I'm the general manager of a restaurant but I totally see where he's coming from because the snapping of the fingers and the shaking of the cups and all of those things those get really frustrating, but that's at every restaurant. I don't, I'm not lucky enough to work. So where I work is legitimately where you live. I assume, I mean, I, I work in the suburb. I've got a Costco and a Best Buy and a Walgreens in my shopping center. There's a, an AT&T store and a Walmart and a Bed Bath & Beyond across the street. Like Vegas is only Vegas for the three mile stretch of Las Vegas Boulevard. Everything else we got to get gas at normal gas stations and go shopping at normal grocery stores. Every once in a while, you'll see a girl in stripper heels at, you know, three or 4 AM. And you're like, well, okay. She just got off from her shift. But I mean, it's, it's really a pretty normal town. 
I live in New York City, man, so okay. it's anything so but you normal probably here. Have better stories than I do about I don't work stuff. in a restaurant, though. I mean, I, 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 want, I wanted some tea. I was waiting for, like, some, um, some, some good stuff, and I think we can still pull some out. So I'm going to stipulate before I ask this question by saying that the employee who you mentioned in this next story cannot currently work at your Chili's because that could be awkward. But was there ever one employee who did something so egregious that it got them fired on the spot? So, um, okay. So I worked at a Chili's back. I worked at two Chili's back in California as a manager. And, um, my nickname there was the black ax because during training, uh, we turned, uh, that's our turn for firing people. Uh, we fired six people. And our training is three months long. And then in the first six months as a manager, I fired six more people. And one of them was a week after I had started. Um, but the best story about, well, I, I've got two good stories about firing somebody and, and they don't work for me. So it's fine. Um, there was a team member recently who was talking back, talking back, talking back. And, I told him I was going to let him go. And the reason I let him go was because he'd had a lot of, of documentation. He, we talked to him about performance and attitude, this, that, and the other. And as we're leaving, uh, as, I'm, as I'm walking this guy out of the restaurant, he looks at me and he goes, you know, you must think you're a real bad man. And I was like, well, I might have thought that like a year ago. But now I just think I'm a bad bitch. And his face was priceless because I don't know if he realized what he had said. Like, I don't know if he thought about it and was trying to be a jerk or if it just slipped and he was just frustrated. And so he just said whatever came to mind. But that was outstanding. The best one I've ever had, though, I didn't have a choice in letting this team member go because... There's times where you just don't, where they make the choice for you. Um, but we had this table that was giving one of our servers the business, just being ruthless. And I talked to this table a couple of times, and everything seemed like it was calming down. And all of a sudden, the server grabs this dude out of the <laughs> out of the booth and gets in his face, and just an, a tirade that I can't repeat because. I, I would I would be embarrassed to say the things that were said, but I'm standing on the floor when this happens. And the server, I start, he sees me. I start to walk to the back. He follows me into the office, hands me his, his waiter's apron and his server wallet. And he's like, so I don't have a job anymore, do I? I was like, no, but this is a great story. Like, I can tell this story at any point in time. And it'll be fantastic for me because I, I witnessed how far you can physically push a person's not physically. I've, I witnessed how far you can push a person before they'll snap. And I, I saw this guy's point. He actually snapped on a guest and the guest wasn't happy, but um, totally worth it. And it was a really bad table, right? Like really yeah, bad. It was, it was the type of table that you're okay. I want everybody to have a great experience at my Chili's, but it was the type of table that tells me, I don't know if we're going to come back. And my initial response is, that's probably a great idea. You're not the type of guests we would like in our building anyway. So I don't have very many of those. I, I've been a manager for five years, and there's probably three or four of those tables. But this table was atrocious and like could, could not leave our building fast enough. So the fact that he lost it on them, I was like, dude, if I could look the other way, I probably would. But, you know, what kind of an example are you setting for the rest of your staff if you do that? So, By the way, this episode was brought to you by Chili's. Chili's, <laughs> if you want to do anything formal, you know, I'm, I'm all about that sponsorship. If you want to send over a spot, we can put it at the beginning and the end of every single Hammer Time Podcast episode. You could be an exclusive sponsor. I'm telling you, Chili's, this is a good opportunity for you. I'm just saying this might be a good time to get our – so I don't know if you've noticed, but in any TV feature we have, we're not featuring our ribs anymore. 
And I really miss that baby back ribs jingle. And I'll be in a competitor's restaurant and see our commercial come on TV. And I'm like, I don't hear the baby back ribs jingle. So Chili's, I've answered all of these questions in a very fair manner so as not to uh, get myself or anybody else in trouble. I think Ethan's deserving of a sponsorship. Yeah, Chili's, bring me the money. I, I, I want those baby back ribs. I need the money. <laughs> I need the money off of those ribs. Wait, wait, wait. When was the last time that you ate at a Chili's? A long time ago. I see. So I think I have eaten in a Chili's, I want to say maybe in high school. Because, I mean, my family kept kosher growing up, so like we didn't eat out a lot. At, like, chain restaurants. But I feel like I probably ate there once in high school, and I also ate at Applebee's, like, once in high school. So I think that's probably the time. Because there are chilies around here, but I can't remember being around many. So I will make an effort, though. Next time I see a chilies, I'm eating in that chilies. I will eat in that chilies. I will make a pledge. <laughs> the chilies pledge. You heard it, chilies. He's... He's promising. Yeah, I'm promising. He's a man of his word. I am a man of my word. Um, anyway, this has been a great, great episode. Uh, Jamie Neal, at the Jamie Neal, correct? Yep. Uh, definitely. Thank you so much for jumping on, sharing your story and your thoughts. Uh, this was really, really special, and I'm thrilled that you're able to join us. Well, thank you so much for inviting me in. Uh, I'll, I'd be happy to come back anytime you've got space, so just let me know. For sure. So... That's the end of this week's episode. Uh, if you have any comments, any thoughts, add Ethan Ham. Download this, share this, do what you will. We're only getting better. Until next time, have a great evening.